2: Good afternoon, tycoons, and welcome to today's episode of Tycoons of Small Biz. I'm your host here, as always, Austin Peterson, normally coming to you live from Phoenix, Arizona, but I decided that I wanted to understand what it felt like to be Gary Braun, so I've gone to Salt Lake City. It was two degrees when I got out of bed this morning, and the pipes at my Airbnb were frozen, so there was no water at my airbnb this morning luckily i had a bottle of water to brush my teeth and i had showered late yesterday afternoon so all is well nobody is having to deal with the way that uh, austin may have smelled without a shower with that being said gary actually switched climates as well so gary braun my co-host is here he's out in palm springs enjoying the 62 degrees that are out there and then we've got uh, our tycoon guest keith baldwin coming in to us uh, from philadelphia but before i introduce keith if this is the first time you're listening to our podcast or looking at our podcast on YouTube and wondering is what it is that we do here at Tycoons, we're a podcast that's put together by small business owners for small business owners. We believe completely that the backbone of the American economy is the small business owner and the employees that work for them. It's what drives the economy here in our country. And so two and a half years ago, my partner and I, Landon Mance, decided to start a podcast and we brought some other partners along the way to give uh, business owners an opportunity to share their stories, share their advice, share their successes, their failures in an effort to prop up their business, obviously, but also to share stories that will help other business owners. So with that being said, we definitely have a tycoon on the podcast today. We've got Keith Baldwin. He's chief relationship officer and managing partner of Spikes Trophies uh, out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania.
1: So Keith, welcome to the show. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. And I'm a little yeah. uncomfortable about the uh, the label of a tycoon, quite honestly. <laughs> That's not
2: the first time we've heard that, Keith. But, uh, you know, we believe that if you've built a, a business, which you have, obviously you you took over. I won't steal your thunder. I'll let you kind of tell the story. But uh, you took over this business after a number of years working there. So before we go into the business side and how you kind of got involved here, let's back up a, a second and have you tell us about your family uh, about your personal life. Did you grow up in the Philly area? Did you go to college? If so, what did you study? Whatever you'd like us to know about uh, about you personally. We'd love to hear
0: it. And, and, and maybe you can even take 20 seconds to root on your Eagles going to the Super Bowl this year.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, go birds. Um, the, uh, the Philly community is uh, quite excited right now. And I am an Eagles fan. And involved in the sports community. I have a few murals on the side of my building. Uh, I do have a Super Bowl mural on one one side of my building, and I have a meeting tomorrow morning with the Mural Arts Department, and if uh, God willingly win again, I'll have a second mural of a second Super Bowl. Awesome. So, um, so anyway, about me, uh, born and raised in uh, Northeast Philadelphia, dropped out of college when I was 18 to stumble into the company that I currently own. I started when I was 14 working for a local sporting goods company. I was putting my way through college when they came across a a dying awards company that was up for sale that they wanted to buy and needed somebody to run it. I was not the greatest student in the world and was biding my time and uh, raised my hand in a meeting and dropped out of school and went to run it or basically have it run me. My parents weren't exactly thrilled but I ended up there. The company was available because it was basically run in the ground by the prior owner and left for dead. And that's another story unto itself. So just through osmosis, I worked for two absentee owners and learned the business over 25 years uh, and bought it about 15 years ago.
2: So quite, quite the story, but so maybe I missed the part where you said how exactly you found out about the business. Did you say it was an ad in the paper or what
1: no, the, the, the sporting goods company that I was working for part-time, putting myself through school, uh, I started when I was 14 as, a, as their skate sharpener and tennis racket stringer, and had worked my way up from stock boy to, I uh, was running, uh, I was a uh, part-time assistant manager one of their retail sporting goods locations, and I didn't know anything about the awards business. This company came available, and they acquired it and needed somebody to run it. I was there for five years at that point, four or five years at that point, and said, I'll do it, and went there without any knowledge of the business and learned it through the School of Hard Knocks. Gotcha. That's, that's, that's a big step to take, man, if you don't have that background and whatnot. It uh, had to be a little scary going in. It's a good thing I was young and dumb. Uh, <laughs> I should have failed. I just worked 24-7, and got lucky uh, through hard work. The the reason it was up for business, the person before me was embezzling money, sold, sold the awards under cost and was pocketing the money. And once the business was taken over, he stole the inventory and stole the orders, took some people, ended up going to jail and going to rehab. And that's what I walked into. So I based, when I say I walked into a shell of a company, I got a hell of an education as a teenager when people were coming in asking for an award that last year was $10. And now I'm telling them it's $20. And I'm making not a lot of money in doing that. And I got cursed at. And I I, I learned the business pretty quick. <laughs> but how do you pick up the business acumen, Keith? Because not,
0: not many 18, 19-year-olds you know, know how to plan a business and figure out margin and where's my same
1: way when you throw a baby in a pool and say swim.
2: (laughs) (laughs) You have no choice. You learn. So what kind of support did you have from the parent company, I guess, the sporting goods company that had purchased the company?
1: Well, they, they were financially challenged. So I learned how to negotiate at a very young age. I would negotiate with my uh, parent company to get bills paid so i get the parts in order to uh, pick them up and assemble them through the night and deliver them the next day. So the support was in a lot of different ways of things not to do. The thing that the support they gave me was the responsibility at a very young age where they let me do it and let me learn. that's the greatest gift that was given to me. I didn't know it at the time. It didn't seem like it at the time. I can remember sitting there on a Sunday night after, I don't know, working through the weekend, literally, uh, just sitting there crying, didn't think I'd I'd make it. And I was just fortunate enough that, again, just young enough and dumb enough to, uh, to be able to stick it out. Sorry, Gary, were you gonna say
0: something? I was just gonna say, tell us a little bit about the business. Now, it, it's it's uh, spikes trophies, but you do awards and trophies and and signage. Did that start right away, or did that get no? Added? So
1: so the the business is composed now of basically three parts. The main part is still the awards business. It used to be the traditional trophies. People think of bowling trophies back in the day, youth sports. That's just we still do a fair amount of it. Some national accounts but it's a smaller part of our business. Corporate awards is the biggest part of our business. And along with that, we are, and we're a manufacturer of that. We sell promotional products. It's anything with a logo uh, and we're a broker for that. And then we also started a sign division a number of years ago when the ADA, American with Disabilities Act came out. And our specialty is interior signage where we manufacture uh, ADA compliant signage for public, uh, mostly eds and meds in our area, colleges, universities, hospitals is a big part of our business,
0: Remanufacturing. That's interesting. How, how did you add that on? You I, Obviously, from a young age, you, you knew the trophy business and, and the awards business and whatnot. How did we suddenly branch into science?
1: Joining a national buying group that I'm now the president of, I learned and they taught me. So along the way, when the ADA came out, uh, they ha- they brought in somebody that was an expert in ADA signage and flew us to Atlanta, and I went there and spent a day to learn how to manufacture it, and a day how to uh, uh, market it, came back, and got into the ADA signage business uh, through the help of uh, this national buying group that I belong to. That's really interesting. So I, I come from the
0: sales background. Um, we help lots of small businesses with sales. That to me seems like
1: now you were chasing two different types of clients, or or maybe it's an overlap. You are correct. It's a totally different sales animal. I ha- I hired somebody completely different to do that. The The thing that it did do, it used our manufacturing capabilities. We had the machinery. We had the people to do it. We're a seasonal business. And the thought process was, it was going to level out our manufacturing year and be able to uh, allow me to keep a stable workforce year round. Oh, so, so flattened. Kind of- so it wasn't Sorry. from a sales aspect; uh, it was more from a manufacturing standpoint. And I had to add the sales component to it. And I bought somebody in that is from that industry that basically added that sales expertise for that in uh, that that industry.
0: So so how do you go about generating business, Keith? It's probably different for both sides of your business, but where does it come from? How big big is the team to go generate business?
1: I've got three showrooms in the area. Uh, Each showroom has a a couple salespeople. We feed it every day with with a truck. It's all computerized. So that's the local aspect of it. I do have outside sales reps, Uh, 10 of those um that work out of the office and, and and travel. We're small well, we're a regional player with national accounts out of local relationships. Does that answer your question?
0: Yeah. Well it's interesting. I have a, a client that's in the promotional space, you know, a lot of logo wear and things like that. They always talk about there's uh they affectionately call them trunk slammers, <laughs> but anybody who wants to sign up with somebody can get into your market. There's a little barrier of entry that are less sophisticated than, than yourself or somebody else. But how, how do you well, differentiate? The, other,
1: the, the aspect there is we're a true manufacturer. So if, if you wanted something personalized today, and sometimes I say I'm in the I forgot business because uh, you forgot you were going to present somebody with something tonight and it wasn't that your responsibility, I get that call and give me an hour. Uh, I got the inventory. I've got the capacity, I've got the machinery. We we laser engrave, we sandblast, we digitally print, we have wide format printing. There's a, no, uh, a number of different ways that we mark product quickly. And, yeah. and you ask me how I got business, a lot of a lot of it is relationship. I my card says chief relationship officer. I truly believe that I'm in the relationship business, not in the awards business, not in the promotional products business or the sign business. I'm in the relationship business. And what proved to me that I was right more than anything was the pandemic of 2020. Because if you think about our business, I'm in the event business a lot of times where it's people gathering, they get awards,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they're, they're going to trade shows, they get promotional products. Well, that didn't happen. It, it, and we're a seasonal business, I said, which is the second quarter is the heaviest quarter. We do a lot of universities, schools, that didn't happen. So I was out of business, but we ended up uh, through relationships surviving and selling a lot of PPE. Uh, we got into the mask business, uh, first blank and then personalized. We ended up getting into the hand sanitizer business. I sourced the bottles. We got the liquid. We bought a filling machine. We had the labels that personalized them. We, uh, we got into... For school districts, we sold the panels that prevented the people from getting uh, transporting the acrylic panels. The acrylic panels, thank you. There's a word for it. I just lost it. Uh, but the the biggest sale was uh, we became part of the supply chain for the state for medical gloves for the vaccines. That's another book that will go unwritten. And um, there was a lot of bad actors at that time. Through my buying group, I was that put me overseas uh, a number of years. Uh, I had relationships that allowed me to connect the dots and, and deliver medical gloves when others couldn't. We never had a million-dollar sale in our life. We had multiple million-dollar sales when we should be out of business because of relationships. And uh, the relationships saved the jobs. I, I laid off all my employees my year of first. First time I ever laid off an employee. I laid off all 45 of them on March 20th at 2.30. I'll get emotional. Um, It still stays with me. And I was able to hire them back the same day, two hours later, because of a relationship. I was honest in my communication with my bank uh, and told them that basically we're going out of business. And they offered me loans to keep me afloat. And I couldn't take it because I didn't think I'd be able to pay them back. They called me back an hour later and said, listen, we've got another customer in the call center business that's just got awarded the contract for the state of New York and they need to find callers immediately to fill the seats, to make COVID test appointment calls into the boroughs of New York when the body bags are building up. I couldn't say yes fast enough. An hour later, I offered my employees their jobs back as a call center and saved the jobs. All relationships, the sales, the, the ability to quote unquote pivot, or the opportunity to pivot came out of relationships. So I'm in the relationship business.
0: I, I get it. And I hear, especially in the sales world, I hear everybody say, I'm a relationship guy and everything else. And I think they have a false perception of what that is. So so what did, what did you do to build up all these awesome relationships that you have, which basically
1: saved your business? Yeah, um, I belong to a lot of groups, relationship groups. And I look to help people. Uh, that's, that's what I think is at the heart of, it's not networking to me, it's building relationships. And I look to help people and I don't look forward to come back. And sometimes it does, but that's what it is. And it's been years of doing that. I'm old. So I have the fortune of being old and, and, and living it and building up those relationships over time. Uh, You can't microwave those relationships. Some salespeople, you go into a room and I I, I give some talks about networking, quote unquote networking, where they go into the room and they're selling, 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 they're handing your card. And I advise them not to do that. I want to know about you. If I meet you in a room, I I don't care that you know me. I want to know who you are. I want to know what you're about. And then I want to know, how can I help you? And I truly try to think of one way that I connect the dot to help you with another relationship or something that you're looking to do uh, that I can help you with. And then I have a process to go build those relationships. Uh, I'll I'll, I'll connect with you on LinkedIn. I'll put you into my outlook. I will make notes of our conversation, how many kids you have, where you grew up, what school you went to, where and when I met you. So that when I meet you five years later and you don't know me or don't remember me, and I I don't have the greatest memory, so I, I'll I'll pull up my brain and I'll say, hey, Gary, I uh, remember we met uh, five years ago at this banquet on uh, on a Tuesday and it was raining, and you look at me like I'm oh my god, and it starts the conversation. It keeps it, it gets the relationship. So yeah. that's 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 what I do. And I, I just developed that over time out of necessity. I think you hit an important point
2: there. And and I've, you know, it's something I try to do. It's something that I've read about for years in that if you go into those networking opportunities, right, and you look more towards helping others, that it does end up helping you when you need it, right? And and you saw it. You saw it come back when you needed it. Absolutely. At your worst point, your lowest point, right? You lay off all your employees. You think that you're literally going out of business. And because of those relationships, you had this opportunity to take on that call center and bring your employees back all because you did it the right way. You looked to serve first and let other people serve you when you needed it. Absolutely. Yeah. I find a
0: lot of relationships are really forged when things don't go well. I mean, if somebody came in and ordered stuff from you, Keith, and you got the order and you delivered it fine, and whether you remember where you met them or had notes on them or not, if everything goes fine, you're a vendor. If something goes wrong, if there's an issue and how you handle that and how you follow up with them and how you go out of your way to take care of them, that's when you really earn those relationships and earn those customers. I'm sure that you've experienced
2: a lot of that
1: over the years. Yes.
2: Yeah, I I think that's a good point, Gary. And and, and the thing is, you know, when we're operating these smaller businesses, small and medium-sized businesses in the country, what we do to serve those customers above and beyond doesn't get reported on the same way that Southwest's debacle, you know, was reported on and the way that they're responding. But they're doing exactly what you just said, Gary. They're going above and beyond and they're refunding everybody and they're paying for rental cars and they're, you know, doing all these kinds of things to go above and beyond. But what that's going to do is it's going to create even more loyalty from their customer base because they went above and beyond in that particular instance when it was really their screw up. It was their own internal screw up. They didn't keep their systems up to date, but they owned it. They fixed it and went well beyond fixing it for their customers. So Keith, you said you're old. What's the game plan? What's a long game plan here? Are, are,
0: is there other people in the business that we want to pass this down to? Are you going to sell it? Are you going to run this till you go to your
1: grave? What's the plan? I'm a Goldman Sachs 10,000 small business alumni. And I went into that program a number of years ago with the idea that I was going to, I love what I do, that I was going to go to my grave. People would ask what my exit plan is. And I said a box in the ground.
0: <laughs>
1: I, I was going to go out with my boots on. I came out of that program with a different perspective. To answer your question, I've got three minority partners that are 10 years younger than me. So, right now, what I'm trying to do is in shape and in place, just basically to pass the torch to them and the employees and to take care of them. Uh, right now, I am very fortunate to be able to have my cake and eat it too. I've got a very loyal. Long term experienced staff with some great partners who support that give me a lot of freedom in the business. So I've worked 24 seven, I've been there, uh, and I've done it. And I, I'm not doing that right now. One of my firsts is I spend Thursdays with my grandson, my Thursdays with Luke. If you would have told me five years ago, 10 years ago, definitely three years ago, that I'd be taking a day off of the week and put my uh, iPhone down and I am present with him for a day, I'd call you nuts. I'm a reformed workaholic, and it's teaching me other lessons in life. That's my plan is to set it up for and hand it off to my partners and my employees. I tell clients all the time, every business owner will exit
2: their business one way or the other. It's either vertically or horizontally. It's your choice. (laughs) So you're going to exit at some point. You might as well plan for it in the best way possible for sure. Yeah,
1: I'm in the planning stages.
2: Yeah, that's great. So I'll tell you what, one of the, one of the things that I, I heard from from many, everything so far, and I'm just going to kind of summarize this is, you know, you came into a business that was started in 1929. Yep. You came in in the 1970s, the late 70s, uh, according to my math here. And in my estimation, you literally walked into a business that was dying, but I would look at it more like it was a startup. And and Keith basically figured out how to bootstrap the thing and turn it into something worthwhile. And and the biggest theme that I see in everything is that you're just unwilling to give up, right? Because a lot of business owners would have given up multiple times along the way and you didn't.
1: Yeah, I'm not the smartest guy you'll ever meet.
2: (laughs) (laughs) No, you know, it's funny because there I was listening to a podcast. um, I want to say last week I was I was in Las Vegas on business and I went for a run and I was listening to this podcast. And it talked about this this period of time that we're coming into here pretty quickly. And nobody knows for sure if we're truly going to go into a global recession or not. Say we will, some signs that say we won't, some that'll say it's very mild. So you know it's a, it's across the board, but there will be a good portion of businesses. They're saying up to a third that if we truly go into this global recession, that about a third of small businesses will use that as, as their excuse to give up and to go and get a job, because then they can say, Well, yeah, you remember the global recession of 2023. Of we shut it down in
1: 2023.
2: You
0: know so that
1: happened in my industry. That happened in my industry in 2020. Yeah, people ask me how we're doing. We just had our best October and November of our our history, and it's because I call it the last man standing effect. My industry was hit very hard. I took over some people, and some people have exited because of that excuse. It was just too hard, and it was very hard to get through. And uh, the people that are left standing and my my buying group is part of them. I've got a national buying group of 65 members like me around the country, and we survived. And we're all extremely busy because of it. Yep. A bigger piece of the smaller pie. Yep. I mean, you make adjustments,
2: you have to plan appropriately, you have to make smart decisions. But there's a big part of it that is just being willing to give up. And, And unfortunately, there are a good amount of Entrepreneurs, in quotes, right? Who are willing to give up when the when the going gets tough?
1: Yeah, I just when the going got tough, I told my partners uh, I had a difficult time, and in, in when I bought and rehabbed my building, uh, and I said I'm going into building mode, and that meant I I lived literally 24 uh, seven for six months to get the uh, the building rehabbed and opened. Uh, I said I'm going in the building mode, and I lived there. Uh, to get us through the pandemic i was not i I said if we're going down i'm going down swinging i'm not going down. yep yep no doubt and i used that uh to once i got my people in place i started to reach out to uh, you talk about small businesses We're, we're an eco community an ecosystem upon ourselves and with all these relationships i've built up there was a number of people that were hurting So I started reaching out to others uh, and helping a caterer friend of mine, a restaurant friend of mine. And I used my year of first, my why became to save a job, to save a life. And I heard that from the head of the Philly chamber one time and it stuck and it became, it it came very clear to me. One morning I woke up and I, 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 I was driven to ride in my office and write it on the pad that I had, what our purpose was to get through this thing, which is we're going to save jobs and we're going to save jobs because we're going to save a life because a job gives people purpose, gives them means. So I filled a restaurant for the first time in my life. It was closed for four months. I called up my friend. and I said, when you open? He says, the first day after Labor Day is our first day. I said, can I have permission to, to fill your restaurant? I've never done that before in my life. He thought I was, I think, crazy, and uh, he gave me permission. And I invited everybody that I knew, friends, family, business associates, some of them still afraid to get out. I filled the the restaurant for a day and basically for the rest of the week. The caterer, I called her up, and she was crying in the pain that I was in. She said, I got enough backlog for another couple weeks for my 10 poor people. She had laid off a couple hundred and she was in tears. And I, I lived that pain a couple weeks before. And I just asked her some very stupid questions. I'm very good at that. I watched the Simon Sinek thing and I, I sent it to her to get her to think. said, so I'm going to send this thing to you and I want you to think differently. And I'm going to call you up and we're going to figure something out. And we, I called her up after she watched it and uh, we came up with the first time I ever did a, a business plan in an hour and she's brilliant. And we we decided to come up with these meals for a week, pre-cooked, that we we're going to give to the frontline workers. And long story short, uh, I, I got her uh, uh, a shot on a local TV station. She didn't know it at the time through some connections. And it blew up. She got donations and she ended up selling thousands and thousands and thousands of meals to all these local hospitals. And and now she's bringing her people back and it saved their company. And I was doing those type of things. And it inspired me. My my, uh, call center business, uh, which we held onto for a year, after the New York gig was done, we migrated to taking calls for the unemployed employment for California. Because the partner that I was with won that contract and needed uh, uh, jobs. And I ended up getting uh, jobs for a number of people in my national buying group. I, I became cocky. I said, whatever number seats you want, let me know and I'll fill jobs. And I, because I had people that were unemployed. So, uh, first time in my life, I ever filled 123 jobs in one day. Uh, I worked through the night to do that, to put this program together to get the people employed. First time I ever had a uh, suicide call on a a line from somebody that had lost their job, lost everything, calling from his car, unemployed, obviously, couldn't get his benefits. And we had three supervisors on the line, police on the way when he pulled the trigger. He gave up hope. So it became my why. And it pushed me to the streets of Philadelphia, uh, Center City. I, I, I slept on the streets of Philadelphia December 5th. Uh, it was cold, 30 degrees with the homeless because I wanted to understand and appreciate what it was like to lose a job, lose everything. I just don't understand how they can do it. Uh, one of the, the first I had, I was uh, cold called by a local uh, radio station at the time when they heard about my pivot. And I, I had my 15 minutes of fame of turning myself into a call center and saving jobs. He's interviewing me, he says, I just came from a a soup kitchen line last week. This was in the heart of when everything was happening. And he says, there's people like me and you in that line that have had jobs their whole life. They're sitting in line for food. So it became a, a real driver for me that year to make me do things out of my comfort zone for the small business community to save jobs. And I did a lot of other, the the book, The Leap Year First, I started the year 2020, obviously not knowing that a pandemic or these unwanted firsts were going to happen to me. A typical bucket list type of things, as you would imagine. I, I raced a car in Las Vegas Motor Speedway. I flew a plane out of Northeast Philadelphia Airport. So I was doing that kind of stuff. And then the pandemic hit and it gave it a different purpose, a meaning. So it was quite unique. Yeah, so I'm intrigued
2: by that, that whole thing. And I want to kind of back up here in just a minute and talk about what your thought process was and how you got started with that before the pandemic hit and then kind of how you pivoted when the pandemic hit. But let's take a quick break. We'll hear a a quick call to action from our listeners, have an opportunity to take a drink and we'll come back and, and talk a little bit more about that book. Please also follow us and then message us on LinkedIn for your no-obligation, informal valuation of your business. We look forward to hearing from you, and thanks for listening to the Tycoons of Small Biz podcast. And now, back to today's program. All right, Tycoons, welcome back. We're here with Keith with uh, Spike Trophies, or Spikes.com. and uh, Gary Braun and I are here talking to him about uh, you know what it is that he has done over his career, really, the last 45 years, but really since the pandemic is when, is when things got interesting. So, you know, Keith, before the pandemic, you said you got ready to, you made this bucket list, right? You started doing things. So what was the thought process in, in doing that? Maybe it was just, you know, by your own words, you were getting old and you wanted, you wanted to do some things, but maybe there's more to it. And then just kind of tell us how that, how that pivoted. And then if you want to share some more examples, that'd be great too. Sure. So, it was December
1: 5th, and I was at a SHRM uh, event. I was there as a guest, which is a human resource organization. Again, another relationship opportunity, and I went there to see if I should become a member, if it was a good use of my time to develop relationships. And it just so happens the keynote speaker that day was Luann Kahn, and she's a local investigative reporter. She is an Emmy Award-winning investigative reporter who happened to be a, uh, a breast cancer survivor, who had written a book, I Dare Me. Uh, Year of First is not unique. And I Dare Me was she dared herself to do something new every day. Actually, her daughter dared her to do something new every day. Uh, and she wrote a book about it. And she was stuck in her career. Uh, technology was passing her by and and with breast cancer and she's feeling sorry for herself and her daughter didn't recognize the person that this accomplished person had become and said, mom, you got to get unstuck. You've got to do something new and challenge yourself. And long story short, she did that and then ended up doing it for a year, wrote a book in front of this group. And she's telling some of these stories and she got emotional about uh, one of the stories about a homeless person. First time she spoke to a homeless person in Rittenhouse Square in Philadelphia. And she ate a scorpion and, you know, some crazy stuff and Uh, And her first first was the Polar Bear Plunge in Atlantic City on uh, the 1st, January. So in this group of people, she says, I want you to, what's one thing you've always wanted to do? What's the first that you want to do? I want you to write it down. I want you to turn to your person, you're right, commit to doing it. And anybody want to share? I was one of the people, I got up and I said, I want to fly a plane. I half believed it. Now I'm old. I didn't think, I mean, I thought that time had passed me and you know, I, I don't know if I believed it, but it sounded good. And afterwards I I, stuck, I stayed after and I got a signed copy and I said, you inspired me. I said, I, I, I'm going to do a year first. So I get the book and I'm reading it out in the parking lot and I'm half-assed thinking about it. And, and her year first thing she did was a polar bear plunge. so I, I signed up for it and that's what I was going to do. And then I started composing a list of first I stole some from her, some that I've always wanted to do. I was supposed to go to down the Nile on a river cruise later in the year and go to Jerusalem to go to uh, uh, for the first time where all the religions started. So I was curious about different religions. So, I started to put religious services I'd never attended. So, I built this list and I started off the year. I couldn't do the polar bear plunge because I had an AFib, and my doctor says you could kill yourself. So, I ended up not doing that and I did something else. I went to the Mummers Parade, It was a Philadelphia thing, live for the first time. That was my first, first. And then proceeded to do something every day. Some of them were elaborate, some of them were, I went to YouTube University, as I say. Because if you've never done something, you don't know how to do it. So I Googled how to. And sometimes I would just go, how to, and see what came up. And okay, I never did that. <laughs> I did that. Uh, so some of it was spontaneous. Some of it was stupid. Some of it was planned. Uh, some people ask me, what's the hardest first you ever did? And without question, I always say, drive the speed limit, the actual speed limit. <laughs> I did that on January 4th and I have a heavy foot in my younger years. I actually lost my license due to speeding, speeding tickets. So I'm not proud of it, but it is a fact. Um, so it was a challenge for me. So I put on Waze. And so I wanted to see where I was driving and what the actual speed limit was. And I went one mile an hour underneath it. Oh. Now, I'm from the city of Philadelphia and the city of brotherly love. Well, let's just say I was showed a lot <laughs> of brotherly love that day. You can't imagine. And it's not safe. And I, 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 I contend that nobody drives the actual speed limit. I was doing 15 miles an hour on an on, off-ramp, 25 miles through a certain zone, 30 miles on a street that everybody's going 60. I put on my blinkers. And pull off the side. and I was going down 95 doing 55. Well, they're going 75. Sometimes I think they think the, the speed limit's 95. I had old ladies blinking at me. It I don't was, know if I could do it. I don't think I could get through the whole day. I was so rattled. I got into my office. My, my partner comes to me and says, Keith, your blinkers are still on. I go down. Not only were my blinkers still on, my car was still running. I was so <laughs> rattled. so that's why i say it was the hardest thing i ever did.
2: that would be a hard one for me so i i actually had my license suspended twice before i was 19 years old for for excessive speeding tickets and i still you know i'm more controlled now but oh my i'm i'm pretty much a nine miles per hour over the speed limit everywhere i go i just it's just the way that then I that's was, I said, you know, the actual no. feeling,
1: because it's accepted. You talked to police, my police friends, five to ten miles, nine miles is acceptable. That's the norm. Yeah, one so mile. A year. Year.
0: So your Get book out. is a leap year of firsts. So was yes. that one of your firsts? Was
1: writing the leap year book? I, I I had never written a book, and yes, I that was my first book. It took me a year to write it, three rewrites. Uh, I learned a lot in it through the process. So yes, that was a first. Yeah. So I, I tell you, for me, Gary and I have talked about this a little bit,
2: maybe not uh, extensively, but I'm a big believer in always preparing yourself for or doing something that gets you out of your comfort zone. I don't know that I would do something new every single day, right? Hats off to you for, for doing that. But I'm always. Preparing for something that's going to put me out of my comfort zone. Right. So, you know, I'll I'll do Ironman races. Gary and I've talked about this. I'm currently getting ready to do another half Ironman race that, that gets you out of your comfort zone. It pushes you physically. I've sang a solo in a church congregation. Right. That's something that's out of a comfort zone for most people, right, other than those who, you know, are professional singers. So I'm always trying to do something that gets me out of my comfort zone. So And I and I believe that that, that makes all of us better people if we're all constantly trying
1: to better ourselves or do something that's uncomfortable. I can't agree with you more. Uh, one of my upcoming hopeful firsts is a TED Talk, and it's about that what these first do for you and making you uncomfortable and getting you out of the comfort zone so that you can grow. So I was interviewed for a, uh, a podcast by somebody, it was Meet the Author. And the interviewee was a part-time comic and says to me, you ever do stand-up comedy? I said, uh, no, I don't think I'm funny and it's, I'm not really, uh, no. And uh, she says, would you? And this mindset of these firsts made me say, "Okay, set me up with uh, her comedy friends. I went to a five week course and I ended up graduating on stage with a 10 minute act of stand up comedy. If you would have asked me, I'm a a recovering shy person, uh, that I would be on stage with a stand up comedy act, talk about singing in a band. My my daughter made me swear never to sing in public. (laughs) <laughs> because I would embarrass the family. I uh, one of my first was fronting a uh, a band poorly uh, singing a Doors song and totally embarrassing myself. I mean, I was totally uncomfortable. So yes, being uncomfortable, walking into and I did a number of different religious services where I just walked in cold. I would listen to podcasts. I listened to my first podcast. Right, I thought a podcast was a couple of people with cans with a uh, <laughs> talking about, and I learned so much about different things. Once I got, I got addicted to podcasts. So I, I would listen to podcasts about very various religions or the ones that I was going to go attend, and I'd go to a service, just walk in and experience it, and 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 try to understand very uncomfortable things that made me sleeping on the streets of philadelphia my wife thought i was crazy there was a lot of murders in center city philadelphia um yeah she pleaded with me but i was driven um and it made it made it gave me a lot of perspective empathy understanding and it was uncomfortable but i grew and i learned and it was worthwhile yeah
0: I got i gotta say keith uh whenever we do these, I'm always looking for you. And what are the lessons learned for the other tycoons that are, are listening in? And and you, you, there's a few that have just struck me with your story here. Uh, Empathy, like times a thousand. It's unbelievable. The empathy that you show for the people on the streets of Philadelphia, for your clients, for friends, for uh, acquaintances and whatnot. That's a key to how you develop those relationships that you do. And, and, I think that's a great lesson for anybody listening. The other one is your to call you a learner would be an understatement for learning. I mean, your curiosity. I, I've never heard of anybody who said, I'm going to study religions and then go listen to the services. I mean, the, your curiosity about everything, that that's, that's a trait you take into business. And you get curious about other people's, what's going on and combine it with the empathy. And pretty soon you, you know them, you understand them, and people want to work with people that they know and they understand. That's phenomenal. And the other thing I picked up was you have a knack for understanding that change is not always good, but change also equals opportunity. When when, when the, the whole environment changes and you can go, I'm going to open up a call center. I'm going to start making masks. I'm going to do this. That, that's, that's phenomenal. So the, this There's conversation-
1: There's a famous quote- in, in the midst of chaos, there's opportunity. absolutely. And, and and somebody sent me that one of my buying group members sent it to me in the heat of the matter and said that you should put this up on your wall because this is what you're doing for us. Yeah. You're creating opportunities in the chaos. and it was it was it was because I wasn't giving up that, that that question that that comment you made, I didn't have failure wasn't an option to me. so there I had to find something. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's
2: it's certainly something that's in some people's DNA and not others, right? And and I, I'm i a believer that most things can be learned if you spend the time and the effort to do it. I agree. But, yeah. I agree. Yeah, and, you know, you talk- now, I don't know
1: person. if I'll ever learn to sing very well.
2: <laughs> <laughs> you may be surprised. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I I'm with you. But, you know, it's you said early on that you weren't a great student, right? And so that's why you, you know, left school and and you went and worked at the Sporting Goods store and all that sort of thing, but th- that there's a difference between being a great student in terms of the system that we have in our country versus being a great learner, like Gary said, right? You have this thirst for knowledge, you have this thirst to be better. And that drives you to constantly be learning as much as you can about whatever. And for, I mean, religion, I think that's awesome. By the way, my wife and I are going to, to Israel in a month. We leave on March 3rd. So we're excited for that. If you haven't done it yet, I would, I would get that on the, on the list.
1: Well, I I haven't. And actually I am planning it uh, right as we speak. I just got back from the Galapagos two weeks ago. Talk about a lot of firsts. That was magical. Uh, I took seven couples there, and now they said, uh, "Let's go uh, to Egypt." So we're going to Egypt and Jerusalem. So I'd, lo- I'll, I'd I'd love to hear your experiences.
2: So- yeah, we'll stay in touch. We'll talk about it. We're doing Israel and Jordan. We could have extended one more week and done Egypt. Uh, so we're there for two weeks, third through the eighteenth. And I just so you're
1: going to you're going to do Petra too? Yeah, we want to do that
2: but I just couldn't, I couldn't do one more week to stretch it out to do Egypt. So we'll have to do it at a, at a different time. Yeah. You're
1: not, you're not as old as me. So
2: (laughs) the gray hair in my beard, it surprises some people. I've, we did a, a, an enrollment meeting for a 401k plan last, last week. And one of the, one of the uh, participants is getting ready to retire. And she said something about you know, old people like us, right? And she motions to me, and I said, "Don't let the gray hair fool you. I'm 46 years old, so you know, I got plenty of time to do those kinds of things for sure."
1: Yeah, I got you by 20.
2: Yeah. Well, I was gonna say. I mean, you you started at the sporting goods store a year after I was born, so yeah. I, I knew you had me by by about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, <coughs> I tell you what. Keith, I, I I've really enjoyed the conversation. Um, I I could sit here and listen to about listen to you about the leap year first and everything that you built. If there's anything that you want to make sure that our listeners hear that that you think would be beneficial, I'd love to hear it. If not, then I would say you know let's let's let us know how to get a hold of you for awards and promotional materials and signage and anything that uh, that any of our listeners would be would be in need of.
1: The one thing that I do want to share is uh, especially to fellow business owners, when the proverbial shit hits the fan, what I learned out of the year was there's five things that I, I kept repeating. I limited my pity party because you, you can easily feel sorry for yourself. I could have crawled up in a ball and I did. I threw a hell of a pity party, but I limited it. I give myself 24 hours and then start to ask good questions not only of yourself, but of trusted others. Rely on your core values. We would have never made it through without it. One of the core values was the ability to say yes or find the ability to say yes. My people found the ability to say yes when asked to be called in the call center. And then when you don't have the answers, sleep on it. Many times I, I put my head on the pillow with a lot of different issues, problems, looking for solutions and didn't have it. And I woke up with a number of them. Because I put my my mind in that framework of solutions. And then just work the problem every day, grind it out. So, there are the five things limit your pity party, ask good questions, rely on your core values, sleep on it, and then work the problem. And then I'm Keith Baldwin. You can find me at uh, Spikes Trophies. That's uh, go spikes.com, G O S P I K E S dot com. Awesome.
2: I don't know that there's a better message that we could end with. Anything you'd add, Gary? No, it's been, it's been fun talking to you,
0: Keith. It's uh, your, your curiosity blows me away. It's, it's insp- you got inspired by the woman that you went and listened to. I got inspired by you today. So it's been a pleasure chatting with you.
1: Well, I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, thank,
2: thank you. you. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you
1: being here. Thank you. You've been
0: listening to Tycoons of Small Biz, a podcast for small business owners by small business owners. Join us every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Arizona time
1: for an introduction to another great tycoon. And be sure to follow us on our social media channels for links to all of our episodes and great content.